When COVID-19 hit, and we were one of the first to get hit being here in Hong Kong, one of our colleagues wanted to create an app to get the most recent information about COVID. So we created a job on Kinto Hub that runs every five minutes that collects this data from the government. And then we rebuild a Gatsby website with the most recent data every five minutes. And then we got about three million visitors within a four week time span, and it cost us zero dollars. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Joseph Cooper. Hey, how's it going? Good. And you're calling in from Hong Kong. Do you want to tell us why you're here and uh, what you do? Yeah, sure, sure. So, I mean, always been a fan of the Jamstack, and uh, essentially we did a viral piece and an open source piece around Jamstack, so definitely want to talk about that. And then uh, I'm also got a startup that I'm uh, promoting Kinto as well. Cool. Uh, let's talk about what Kinto Hub is first. Yeah, yeah. So Kinto Hub, um, so what we're doing is that we are focusing on making it simple to deploy and debug full stack apps in the cloud. And when I say that, like full stack, I'm talking about a front end website, a back end API, and then some sort of database, you know, be it like MongoDB, MySQL, Postgres, et cetera. And the reason why I think this is kind of important is because Heroku about a decade ago did a great job abstracting, you know, Amazon, right? Amazon was a lot more complex back in the day. And uh, with Heroku and other providers now, Netlify, et cetera, it makes it dead simple to be able to get that stuff, uh, your apps into the, the cloud. But once your app gets a little more too complex and you need a database or, or things need to scale and costs get out of hand, you kind of leave Heroku and then you just go use Kubernetes and, and the cloud-native offerings and, and Amazon, Google, Azure, et cetera. Yeah, so most companies end up growing out of, out of the simple solutions and then into something a little more complicated? Yeah, exactly. And you usually want a little more control and then it's, it's usually a costing. Like the average person I hear that you know, leaves those platforms is because of a costing or control. Yeah. So Kinto Hub's really aiming to just like be an interface for cloud providers. We're not trying to do like the next gen cloud provider itself. And we're doing this by abstracting the powerful features that you know, cloud providers already provide or in the cloud native space and Kubernetes space. And then when we don't abstract it, we give our users the ability to control the infrastructure with these things called Helm charts. So it's really our thesis to be able to still get your full control or use like a very clean dashboard abstraction of the cloud. Okay, so I guess the life cycle is that you could, you, you have a simple solution that someone could actually scale and grow with. Is that, I guess, the pitch to anybody interested in sort of taking Kento for a spin? Yeah, exactly. So if you like the, the Heroku or like the abstracted cloud provider space, the simple cloud space, but you still want the power of Amazon Google Azure, uh, before you jump over to their ships, like take, take a peek at Kento Hub. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally am a fan of all those other things you had mentioned. And like I come from the Amazon world, the AWS world, like I saw that sort of product grow and grow and grow into something that it's a little overwhelming for someone new approaching it. Yeah, but there's some other stuff like I'm not as familiar with the Azure platform as well, so I tend to just stick to what I know. And what I know is like either the simple things that like like the one-click Heroku Netlify's. But yeah, I appreciate tools like Kinto that can expand sort of my my breadth of what I touch to approach like deploying applications. So, can we dig a little deeper into the post that you guys actually came out on the new stack uh, and sort of how this actually 
this is related to the Jamstack? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so what we did is when uh, COVID nineteen hit, and we were one of the first to get hit outside of China, being here in Hong Kong, one of our colleagues wanted to create an app uh, to get the most recent information about COVID. Yeah. And that information might be hospital cues, like how long, if you go to a certain hospital, how long would it take for you to see a doctor? Um, maybe it's about, is there toilet paper available around the corner? Yeah. Um, and then all the cases that have happened in your neighborhood. So if you're building, uh, because here you can be living with a thousand people in, a, in one single apartment complex. Um, if your building got hit, you can know about that. Yeah. So this data is all publicly available by the government. And we knew that there would be a high demand for such an app to kind of look at what's going on. So we're thinking about how do you create a solution that is super cost efficient? And that's where we were looking at the Jamstack and CDNs, because once you serve something like Cloudflare as a static you know, website, then it's pretty much free. You can serve that millions of times and, and you're not paying the you know, infrastructure costs and the server costs. So what we did is we used Gatsby to scrape this data. So we created a job on Kinto Hub that runs every five minutes that collects this data from the government. And then we rebuild a Gatsby website with the most recent data every five minutes and push it to Cloudflare. And then we got about 3 million visitors within a four-week time span, and it costed us $0. Um, so that's what the whole post was about. And we open-sourced the entire solution, and, and actually a couple other countries have uh, picked it up and started using it. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty nice. Actually, Gatsby's uh, incremental builds, was that, um, did you leverage that, or did that come in after this project? I think it might have came in after, okay. um, and we kind of wanted to see how Kinto Hub fit into the, the play as well. So we used the job system within Kinto Hub to re-trigger new builds every five minutes. And what, what is incremental builds? Uh, yeah, so basically if you, um, similar to like how when you take a, a diff in Git, it only affects the, the things that you've, you actually have changed. So very similar to incremental builds, if there's a page that has changed, it only builds that page oh, interesting. as opposed to the entire project. Hopefully I didn't butcher that for anybody who works at Gatsby or has uh, already been using it. Uh, I've only just read a couple of blog posts and uh, saw West Boss actually started using Gatsby as well. But yeah, essentially that. So cool. I, I could see like every five minutes though, does it not get too expensive if you're... Yeah, it's uh, we got the build times using like, it gets kind of crazy with like what's underneath the hood at Kintoa, but um, using Canico, we were able to do a lot of caching gotcha. uh, in the Gatsby layers of a Docker cache. So so really we were only rebuilding a very small piece of it and our build times are around a, a minute and a half for that. But yeah, like standard Gatsby builds could actually be pretty pretty big so I could see how that feature could help out a lot. But yeah, a minute and a half uh, builds every five minutes and we just pull the latest data from the government so that uh, it looks like a, a real-time website or a up-to-date website, but really it's just a static website. Yeah, that's pretty clever. I mean, I've done a lot of uh, sort of tinkering with public APIs to support some of my needs for side projects. And uh, like one of the hardest things, like you're, you're from the Bay Area originally, so you, like, you know about the BART. Mm -hmm. And I, well, I was writing the BART pretty regularly up until recent changes. And like being on the BART, you just naturally, it's like, oh, I'm going to build an app so I can figure out how to avoid certain situations in the BART. So like Ben Alequidu, who's now at uh, Stitch Fix, he built an app called BART Salmon. Uh, so he's like an engineer there. But he because he lives in the last stop, which is Pittsburgh, he's got a lot of time to kill while he's on the BART. So he might as well get on the train that he could sit down on. Mm. So he, would, he built an app where it just tells him when the next train's coming and if it's worth going to the next stop up the chain to get a seat. Oh, interesting. So if you're going to get out of Montgomery, 
maybe take the chance and go up to 24th Street or go up to the Mission and then take it back down because you'll get a seat at the Mission, but you won't get a seat at Montgomery Street. So nice. It's a it's a nice little app. I'm not sure as far as like how he was supporting it. We didn't go into details of like at what servers he's running on it, but like if I were to take that idea and I wanted to scrape the Bart API and give me some more like closer to real time data or some sort of like socket, because uh, I don't think the Bart API actually gives that to you. It sounds like yeah, I can sort of fake that I have an open web socket that's giving me information at least within five minutes. Uh, I'm curious, like Kinto, can I set a few cron jobs? Because I imagine if I wanted to set a cron job that sort of hit only during rush hour, like pretty heavily, uh-huh. like are you able to like batch some cron jobs together to also maybe increase the rate at which you're deploying at? No, right now we haven't uh, supported any like dynamic changing of times of uh, maybe during you know the evenings you do every five minutes and then you know during regular like downtime at night maybe you do it every hour or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, we haven't done anything dynamic like that, but you could maybe schedule your cron jobs at a specific time. So maybe you you know at least if you wanted to hack it today, you could say that I want these jobs to run at this time, this time, this time between five and seven. Um, and then I want it to be at this kind of schedule between you know midnight and six a.m. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you could say a specific time versus a recurring time like into as well. Excellent. So I'm I'm also curious like uh, as I did some prep to look at the the project like there's a lot of words that I'm not familiar with but also a ton of words that I am familiar with like as me as like a lame person who has done a lot of front end in the past couple of years and has you know I'm familiar with Heroku I've done some Rails servers and like Python stuff. But when you start talking about Docker and Kubernetes and orchestration, like that's where I start getting lost. And I sort of like back up and I'm looking for different solutions to sort of like give me an easier way. And I think I think the the space is sort of now really, really developing when you talk about like cloud native and a lot of this orchestration pieces. So I'm curious, is Kinto Hub, is it a solution for someone like myself who perhaps can build a website but can't build a website to scale because I lack the knowledge of all that infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. And what we're trying to do is do it in a way that isn't opinionated. So you could come with any language, any framework. You don't have to you know, switch your code to Lambda or do something special or different, right? But at the same time, we don't want to take too much control. So let's say that, you know, yes, if you go to Kinto Hub today and you just need a new website and you want to put it up and put it on a CDN and get like an SSL certificate really easily, yeah, Kinto Hub does that. If you want a backend API or Ruby, you know, instance, and you want to be able to scale that horizontally, you can do that within a few clicks without, you know, learning anything about load balancers or any of the stuff to take auto scale up. Um, but then there's that moment where you're like, I need a database, and I want it to be like super production grade. Like I want a MongoDB instance replica set with, you know, five different instances, etc. Which kind of might go outside of your domain name, but maybe for more serious, larger apps or teams, um, they might want that control. And that's where the whole Docker and Helm uh, exposition comes. So if you do want to control your containers, you can bring your own Docker file. If you do want to like set up a much more complex containerized system uh, and multi-container setup, you could bring Helm charts. So that's uh, the offering that we're doing. Interesting. Yeah. Could you explain what Helm is? I'm, uh, I think most listeners or most of our listeners are familiar with like the idea of Docker, mm. but I haven't actually heard of Helm and know what the sort of benefit of that that product gives you. Cool. Yeah. So Helm is very similar to what like the npm uh, Maven and you get the package management of like actual languages is, but for Kubernetes. Gotcha. Uh, so if you wanted to get a service running, even if it was just a website running on Kubernetes, you might package that as a Helm chart 
which would be the same as an NPM package. But the difference is you are thinking more as an infrastructure level. So really the DevOps world um, and infrastructure engineers would use Helm charts. Like it'd be very rare for like a backend or a front-end developer to kind of transition over into that world. But it's, it's a fun world to check out. Um, but Helm is probably the, the winner for package management in the Kubernetes space right now. Okay, yeah, that's good to know. And I appreciate you taking the time to sort of explain that to you as well. Because like, I've tinkered with the Kubernetes. Uh, I've literally gone through Kelsey Hightower's uh, Kubernetes for, I want to call it Kubernetes for dummies, but I think it's Kubernetes the hard way. Yeah. But I, I definitely felt like a dummy copying and pasting everything and sort of just like figuring it out. Was that on Udacy? Uh, no, it's actually a repo that he has under his org on GitHub. Cool. If you just go to Kelsey Hightower slash Kubernetes the hard way, you start copying and pasting, you start generating keys and doing controllers. And uh, I had something running, but I couldn't tell you exactly what it was. Yeah. But I, I have like a lot of experience in being a consumer on that end. So like when I say I don't really know how to set it up, I do know how to run a Docker container. I do know how to like run scripts that are like given to me, like in the readmes and uh, within the doc files. So like I had a lot of experience. So when I worked at Netlify specifically, like actually doing features for Netlify involved running a lot of that stuff, but it didn't require me for actually doing any of that work to get that running. So that's where I sort of fall over, and that's where I'm, I'm always intrigued to learn it, but I don't have a legit problem to solve. Like if I go to approach like using a new JavaScript framework, like I know the problem I will be solving to put that on the web. Yeah. But when we start talking about scaling, like I don't know what the first step is to start orchestrating stuff. So I'm curious, like if I'm interested in like a thing like Kento Hub and like using tools like this to, or even like a Helm to manage some of the stuff, like are there like hello worlds for things that involve some of this orchestration and like uh, DevOps stuff? Well, we have two things. One is we have like a catalog. So we do have pre built Helm charts that we've curated for Kintoab. And that's all open source. So if you wanted to see what we changed and see all the PRs and the commits and all that other stuff, uh, it's, it's all open source as our, our catalog offering. And then also in our docs uh, underneath Quick Starts, you'll be able to find all that stuff as well, like how to set up a Helm chart or even how to use different frameworks on Kintoab as well if you wanted to. You go PHP, Java, Ruby, you know, you name it. Um, we have a bunch of different examples. I think we hit like 23 or 24 examples of how you would set that up with Kintoab. And no video tutorials yet, but uh, probably sometime in the next month or two, we'll be doing another video series on the new version we're launching uh, with, with Helm Charts. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm a fan of the, uh, the reading the docs, but I, I know I'm also a fan of the videos because I, if I'm looking for an answer, I can fast forward to it. Yeah. But I know everybody learns in a different way. So I'm, I'm sure somebody will appreciate having videos eventually. But uh, yeah, I also appreciate how nice these docs looked as well. You got Django, Flash, Gen. It's like you're crossing the scope, Koa, Express, like JavaScript, Python. And then I think Gen is that Go? That's Go. Gen is Go. Yeah, I, I remember back in the day, it was like Negroni. Was Negroni before Jen? There was something before Jen. Yeah, I think that was the first one, and Jen was kind of a play on that. Yeah, <laughs> well, actually, if I know the history correctly, because I, I learned Negroni back in the day uh, when I was learning Go, and I guess Negroni did not like follow best practices for Go. So like Jen is what you would actually put in a drink. There's no Jen in Negroni, um, if anybody cares. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I digress. Anyway. I am actually super intrigued about this. Like, I wasn't sure what to think about this project, but like, I'm I'm super intrigued on how to get myself in the DevOps world because I don't have any scaling issues today. But I, I know I will have in one of the projects I'm working with. One thing I, I am aware of that you could use Kubernetes, but also uh, Docker containers for is like things like um, A/B testing. So when you start talking about um, 
load balancing is a term you already mentioned, mm-hmm. but being able to load balance like different versions of your site to different servers as well. Like perhaps like I think you'd mentioned Cloudflare, so I imagine there's a a hook in the Cloudflare uh, with Kento Hub. Or are you just manually uh, shipping that? Yeah, I mean, we we let people choose what CDN or or outside like host name that they want to use. Um, we're slowly gonna kind of give more of an opinionated you know option on that, like where you could say you deploy your environment and it's gonna be in the U.S., uh, it's gonna be in Europe, and it's gonna be in Asia, and then we will automatically load balance that based on your geolocation. So we will like kind of give you those one click options as well. But then if you don't want to do that and you still want to control the load balancer. Uh, or what you're load balancing with, uh, we'll give you that option too. So that's like always our forte is like if you want to do it yourself, do it yourself. But there is the one click button option too if you want it. But yeah, load balancing and A/B testing is actually a pretty interesting topic because it's it's really hard to do once you get a lot of different services. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I think you know the preview deployments on like you know Netlify, Inside for example are great and it, it works great for one service if you want to preview it and if you wanted to do an A/B test between one service, then it's it's pretty cool. But then the moment you have a backend API that's version 2.0 that you want to test with a new front end, with maybe a database migration, like once things get a little you know funky in that sense, uh, if you're not using like MongoDB, it gets even more complex. If you have proper migrations like you know MySQL and Postgres, then you got like a pretty complex problem underneath the hood. And I don't think. There's many solutions for that until you get into the deep cloud native space with like Istio and, and blue green deployments, all this other stuff. But still, it's extremely hard to accomplish. But what I would say, if you are going to experiment with that in like the near term, is uh, launch darkly as a very cool uh, like feature flagging. And I believe you know GitHub does it as well with how they release features. They feature flag. Yeah. And uh, and you really are controlling what you're exposing on on the front end. So that simplifies the problem a lot. But it's a completely different approach to you know blue green deployments, right? Yeah. Um, so I usually recommend people like if you want to start scratching there, you should uh, start with feature flagging because it's a lot more easy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a good thing to mention too. And also, just shout out to LaunchDarkly, who uh, Edith actually co-hosts a podcast. Uh, so the the CEO of LaunchDarkly co-hosts a podcast on the same network. Oh, nice. It's heavy bit. So definitely check out. To be continuous, which is uh, their podcast. Cool. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention too, as well, because I was just taking a peruse through your your pricing page. So, like, I didn't mention, but when I went through the whole Kubernetes the hard way with Kelsey Hightower, one thing I did not mention is I ended up paying eighty dollars for that. Oh wow! And it was because I ended up, I did it on a Friday because you know you always try new things on Fridays while you're not really doing anything, mm-hmm. and like spun up like some controllers and had some stuff running, and then I ended up like. Pausing the tutorial and then walking away from it over the weekend. So, like, I was running things 24 mm-hmm. 7. Sorry, well, 24 hours for the entire weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by the time I realized it, I was like, uh, luckily it was like the end of the month. So, I ended up getting like pinged on like a, a bill. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I just signed up for this thing. Uh-huh. Well, I've had a Google Cloud account thanks to Firebase. But so, like, I've been a Google Cloud member. I don't have any free credits because I've been a Cloud member, which is another like gotcha. So then I'm like, oh wow, seventy nine bucks? Like, what? What yeah. did I do? Like, this must be wrong because I ended up seeing my credit card like pending charge, and I was like, ah. Uh. And then I was like, oh, I left that thing running, and because like, I had this closed a terminal, like this kept it running in my machine, never like restarted or anything like that. Yeah, it was just sort of charging me, which was amazing. An expensive tab. <laughs> yeah, very expensive tab, and like especially when you when you're doing it the wrong way. 
like I was, where I was just sort of copying and pasting, going through it, just learning. I wish I was learning the terms and learning the terminology of how to approach that and build something like a wood balancer. I think that's what we were focusing on in that tutorial. Mm-hmm. But like stopping that and moving on, like that's that's enough for me to be like, I'm never touching this again. Yep. Like I will hire somebody for eight hundred dollars before I actually pay eighty dollars to do it wrong. Yeah, and getting zero dollars of value out of it. And hopefully they know how to do it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then like it's not even a knock on like Kelsey's tutorial, and it's not a knock on. Um, like even Kubernetes as like a product at itself, but it's more of a knock on myself that I don't have the knowledge enough to know what I need to get out of this. So it's almost like if you don't know what you don't know, then it's like almost not approachable to you, uh, which I've felt for most of the DevOps space um, outside of like CI. But when you start talking about like true like DevOps and orchestration and all this other stuff that we've sort of covered, that's what makes this really enticing for me. So like when I start thinking about Hey, I need actually some sort of not fancy, but I need some bespoke situations of how I sort of orchestrate how my site is or my project is to being delivered. Mm-hmm. I honestly like I, I think you've sort of convinced me. I'm not sure the goal wasn't really for you to sell me on the podcast, but I'm actually really, really intrigued on trying this out. Yeah, uh, and I hope the listeners sort of gone through this sort of journey with me. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's uh, and it's been a journey for me, and it's funny that you you mentioned and learned that from Kelsey as well, because I I learned Kubernetes from Kelsey on the Udacy. Okay. Uh, I think it was like introduction to Kubernetes. So, I that when I first started looking into this idea back in early 2017, late 2016, I just took the course and and just learned you know Kubernetes, and it was mind blowing. Um, but then it was also costly, like you said. And it's, it's actually a crazy journey because the Kubernetes space is the first step to cloud native. And then when you get into the cloud native CNCF, then you're installing all these crazy packages that you know cost you a lot of money. Like if you want to do monitoring with Prometheus and, and you're doing that for months with you know multi-tenant servers, you're spending thousands of dollars if you don't know how to manage that data, just on data alone. And it takes one little configuration to say, hey, Put it in cold storage versus put it in memory. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like it's crazy. Yeah. The the learning curve in, in terms of cost and in this space is insane. So so that's like one of the things that, you know, of course, why you would leave maybe Heroku or or another place too because of cost. We were also trying to start with like cost optimization by default. So that we do put you on a preemptible node or spot instance by default. Um, so you don't have to pay for full servers and stuff like that. Yeah. Excellent. Is there anything else you wanted to cover in regards to the space? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're we're here to help. If you uh, do start playing with Kintua, we have a Discord channel, and uh, we're supporting people left and right there, and always open, uh, you know, for feedback. And early days for us, so we're we're just trying to keep our ears open to see what people want and, and work towards that. Excellent. Yeah. So with that being said, I want to transition us to picks. So these are jam picks, things that keep us going. Uh, could be music, movie related. Could be tech picks. At this time, like we have spent a lot of time in, inside, so my picks are around being inside. <laughs> so if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share my first couple picks. Uh, first one is actually I've got a um, I started streaming on Twitch um, programming, and I think I've mentioned this a couple times. On I've had a Twitch account for a while, which is my gaming tag, which is Me Eight Robot. I've recently switched that tag to my regular Twitter handle. So if anybody's looking for me, um, be Dougie Yo on Twitch. And I've been streaming like twice a week for at least the last 30 days. And it's been quite the experiment. It's been a lot of fun to sort of just pull up my, my terminal and like Visual Studio Code and just start hacking away at some of the problems I wanted to, that weren't really work related. I just wanted to sort of hack on something, but also get feedback and 
Uh, usually on Fridays, I get a couple of guys who will jump in and start chatting and giving me pointers and tips on like what I'm doing wrong. So like if you like to learn in, in the open and learn in public, I highly recommend it uh, using that as an opportunity, especially if you're looking to level up and level up with like a group or like a learning club or whatever. But yeah, if you are doing a learning club on Twitch, let me know. I would love to see how that works and how that sort of build a community around that. So the next thing I wanted to mention is TMIJS. TMIJS is Twitch Messaging Interface. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a nice little cool little API. Actually, not even API, it's SDK around their API. So it gives you a lot of stuff like what you would normally get at SDK. But I'm at the moment, I'm building a chatbot. So that way, anybody who shows up in my Twitch stream can do some pretty generic commands at the moment. Actually, I'm going to be building a yo command. So that way, whenever you just type in yo, since my, my name on Twitter is Bidugio, it actually does something a little cool. Nice. As well as some other those little Twitch interactions that a lot of people are doing. So yeah, check out mutualfund.live, which is my new uh, site if you want to see all the stuff I'm working on in regards to live streaming. So yeah, that's sort of pretty much where I'm at uh, for picks. But Joseph, did you have a, a pick? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just you know do a little local local here in Hong Kong now that I've uh, been kind of stuck over here, so... Um, we're actually opening up back up in Monday uh, on May the 4th, be with you. Um, so the Punjab Club is probably one of the best uh, Indian foods. And I lived in India for 15 months actually as well. Nice. Um, so Punjab Club here in Hong Kong uh, just got its first Michelin star. You know, congrats to them and oh, nice. really, really amazing food. So very excited to finally, you know, go out on a on a date with the wifey and uh, and we're planning on doing that soon. So just wanted to mention that. And uh, yeah, I guess like as I've been you know, kind of trying to live in the 900 square feet that I live in here. I've been trying to start a new hobby and do, you know, other things other than stare at the screen all day. It's definitely harder to disconnect. So I picked up, out of all things, kind of spinning uh, and DJing a little bit. So, oh, nice. so yeah. I just started a, a little SoundCloud DJ Milkman after my son, nine months old. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I picked up a DDJ SX2. That is a good pun. Yeah, that was his nickname because he was always just having fun with his milk bottle. But but yeah, the DDJ SX2, uh, really amazing controller. It's uh, been a lot of fun playing with that, and then the learning curve has been minimal with the uh, YouTube videos and everything, which has been great. Who makes that uh, that controller? Uh, Serato. Serato. Okay, yeah, because I'm actually eyeing controllers like like yourself. I am also picking up hobbies left and right. Sorry to mention, it's actually a Pioneer, but it's a Serato-based Pioneer. Okay. So I guess they had like a partnership or something, but both their logos are on it. Yeah. And at this point, a lot of this music gear, because um, I've got a Behringer mixer, mm. a lot of these like companies have like they're they're buying each other. So like you have this like different levels. So sometimes it can be confusing on who. I, I know all this stuff because I used to do music in college, like produce beats and stuff like that. Awesome. But yeah, I'm super envious of one of my coworkers who's actually been picking up sampling and learning how to do that. Oh wow! Uh, and using some of the some Ableton, the the Push Two, and then the uh, the machine. I, I just don't need another hobby. Like I, I think uh, if I do that, then my family will never see me because then I'll be coding, I'll be streaming, I'll be playing games, and then I'll also be making music. So my kids will have to raise themselves. So I'm I'm hoping that one of my other hobbies will die off uh, once the everything opens up. But I really I'm really intrigued in a lot of these uh, Instagram artists. Um, I don't know if you how much you've been paying attention to some of these DJs doing their sets uh, on Instagram Live and mm. and even Twitch too as well, which has been weird because it's not it's it's a weird place to watch stuff that's not gaming. So like coding is even weird to yeah. watch it there. But uh, it's like new content, but not weird enough that you can't watch me. 
That's, I, I didn't realize. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually from the game industry. This is my first startup outside of the game industry. Did you get a chance to play Volarin at all, or got the invite? No, no. I've I've watched a bit of it, but like the first person shooters, like I haven't really been into them since like college. Mm. Like I'm a very passive player, so like I wouldn't even be playing right now if I had the invite. But I have been watching, so I'm I'm much I'm a bigger fan of watching the first person shooters nowadays. Yeah, mainly because like I'm not really into the um, the battle royale. Like I used to play Counter Strike. Counter Strike's probably the only one I I still do play. Yeah, but uh, so you're playing Go. Yeah, jumping out of airplanes and then dying and then waiting another thirty minutes until you get put into another room. It's just not not my speed right now. Uh, I hear you. I, I'm a huge Counter Strike fan. I actually, I clocked over six thousand hours in high school playing Counter Strike, which was ridiculous. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Been, I was an OG Counter Strike player, so I used to play on my janky Windows machine back in middle school. Yeah, but but Valorant looks like it has the CS mechanics, or at least the 1.6, like old. You know, you shoot them, they're down, kind of thing. So yeah, definitely excited to try it out when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. When it's open to everybody, I definitely give it a spin. But yeah, I'm like, I just don't have it, have it in me to start really going hard because some of these kids are just way too good. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Joseph, I I just appreciate you coming on, calling us from all the way from Hong Kong, and uh, sharing about your your budding DJ career, but as well as talking about the DevOps space and sort of clearing it up for me, but as well as the rest of the listeners. So thanks for that, and uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 